Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. <laughs> How are you doing today? You already got me laughing, so it's going to be a good day. <laughs> well, okay. So what I've decided is that, like President Trump, I'm not going to accept the peaceful transition of power this um, election season, and I'm not going to accept the election, no matter how it turns out. Really? Yeah. I Thank figure you. that's the best way for me to just say, I don't believe in the election certification process, and then have you prove me why I'm wrong. Ah, you laugh. That means you can't. I win. Podcast <laughs> over. So, listeners, Nia is actually adopting a new approach, which is <laughs> she's staking out the null hypothesis and then daring me to come up with evidence for the actual hypothesis. Um, it, it, this is a different strategy in regards to our discussions. Uh, uh, well done, Nia. I appreciate this. <laughs> I'm trying okay. to shake it up a little, keep okay. you on your toes. Yeah, but uh, listeners, today uh, our topic um, is one that uh, um, uh, uh, I and other scholars uh, do suspect we will have plenty of discussion um, once the election actually occurs. Oh, can I say that that's a gentlemanly way to say that? We're going to have plenty of discussion. <laughs> Considering that my view of it is we're going to have plenty of Armageddon to go around <laughs> after the election. So in, in all seriousness, um, <clears throat> we're not going to know the results on November 3rd, are we? No. I, I, I would be surprised. Um, Unless it's a humongous landslide one way or the other, right? We're not. That's right. Um, and, and there are a number of reasons for this. The main reason is that uh, most voting behavior um, experts and scholars uh, are predicting an extraordinarily, extraordinarily high number of Americans are going to vote by mail. Okay. okay, so let's start at the beginning. So voting day is always the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. Right? Right. That's set in the Constitution. Yes. And in our case this year, that is November 3rd, 2020. That is so correct. So we know that that is technically what we're calling election day, meaning your polls must be open that day in order for people who want to go vote in person. That's correct. Yes. So what the states have done in in the land of covid right in this time is they have they have made absentee balloting i think easier in some states right like like you can get a ballot more easily i know in virginia you used to have to give a reason yes for wanting an absentee ballot you couldn't just say because i don't want to go to the polls that day because i don't feel like it right like that's not you had to either be living somewhere else or you had to be taking care of someone who was sick or something. There had to be a reason. And they've sort of taken away that part. Yeah, a number of states like Virginia have made it significantly easier to one, get an absentee ballot, and then two, um, actually submit your vote that way, okay? Well, 
I'm going to argue that easier is a relative term here, considering that you have to, in some states, you still have to have a witness. In some states, you have to put it in the naked envelope before you put it in the final envelope. I mean, I'm not, I, given the arcaneness of some of the laws, and in fairness to the laws, they weren't expected to be used as heavily as they're going to be used this year, right? Like normal absentee ballot ballot levels are pretty are low, aren't small. they? Extremely yeah. small, yes. Because most people vote in person day of, yeah, right? it, like it, what it, we it, think it, of as normal voting, and I'm putting air quotes around that, which listeners can't see, but... But it's part voting in person is long been viewed as part of the voting ritual. Right. right? I get um, up at 7 a.m. and I go over to my polls and I say hello to my nice little old ladies who work there. And they check me off on the master list. They have a big ledger and they check me off on the master list and they give me my ballot and they tell me what to do, even though I've done it 4,000 times. And I fill out my ballot and then I go around to the guy and he watches me put it into the machine. And then he gives me my I voted sticker. Um, yeah. And, 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 I mean, like, like it's you, a whole thing, right? And, like, and, 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 and like you, uh, for the last seven years, um, uh, I uh, uh, wake up Mackenzie. Uh, I get her dressed, okay? Get her fed, okay? Um, and then we would go vote together, right? Oh, so she's been voting forever. She's been voting forever, right? And like you. Okay, we've been going to the same place all seven years. Okay, <laughs> um, they know me and my daughter. Um, they've heard my daughter go ahead and say, you know, more people would vote if you had coffee and donuts here, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, or or candy. Hello. Oh, she's not. She's not into candy. She likes donuts. Oh, and of course, coffee, because she's your child. Yes, she's just like, you know, my daddy dude, and more people like him would vote more often. And I'm like, <laughs> Mackenzie, we, we can only vote once a year, okay? <laughs> okay. And then I go ahead but and we'd make... come here a lot more often if you had coffee and donuts. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, it, oh, that's an interesting strategy for campaigns to, yes, to right? engage in. And, and it's the same. It's the same volunteers, right? It's the same ladies. They do the exact same thing that you just described. They look me up on their ledger or on their computer screen. Okay, uh, they uh, uh, mispronounce my last name. Okay, even though they've seen me. I mean, I know these people, right? Um, you know. Th then we go to the machine. I fill out the ballot. Then, just like you, there's an elderly gentleman who watches me slide it on in so it gets scanned, okay? And you see the number go up so that but, you know it's gone into the machine. That's right. Um, and then he gives me a nice little receipt, and then we get to choose our stickers, okay? Um, I don't wear them, okay? Uh, but Mackenzie does. She proudly wears <laughs> her I voted sticker, right? Good for her. Yes, right? On the other hand, as Nia just pointed out, the states have different laws in regards to um, what is expected of voters who vote by mail, okay, who vote by mail. And she just gave one of the examples. Um, my home state of Pennsylvania, much like Virginia, require you that when you vote by mail, after you fill out the ballot, 
you put Wait, that. and sign it. Okay, we'll since get that's that. a huge problem. Okay, we'll get to that in just a moment. Okay. I was just focusing on the dual envelope issue. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. Go ahead. Okay. So Virginia, like Pennsylvania and a number of other states, after you filled out the ballot, then you stick it in, okay, a blank white envelope. On the back is where you have signatures that are required. Now, um, Nee and I, uh, before the podcast began uh, recording this morning, we're looking at the mail ballot procedure here in Virginia. And one of the things that could be confusing is the fact that on one hand, the instructions you get with your ballot say that after you vote and you put it in the envelope, you must have a witness over the age of 18, okay, that will uh, affirm that they watched you vote, that it was actually you who cast the ballot. On the other hand, on the website, okay, and also, uh, and, and now I found it right down at the bottom, it says, unless you believe you may not safely have a witness present while completing the absentee ballot for the November 3rd, 2020 elections, Envelope B must be fully uh, uh, completed, including both the voter and witness, witness signatures on your, or your ballot cannot be counted. That seemingly suggests you don't need to have a witness. On the other hand, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's confusing. To say that it is not confusing would be silly. It's confusing. Okay. And if you are a person who either didn't notice that at the bottom, right, but you live alone and now you're panicked because you don't have a witness to your ballot and because we're in COVID, we're being told not to just randomly go to people's houses and hang out and do stuff with them, then what do you do, right? Like it's, it, it so I think there's going to be huge confusion about that. And you were right to say that that's a separate issue because the signing thing is a normal issue with ballots, with absentee ballots, which is like normally bunches and bunches of people forget to sign them. And folks, it's a legal document. You have to sign it. Yes. If you don't sign it, it doesn't count. You might as well mail them a, an envelope of confetti because it's going to mean the same thing to the, to the registrar. It has to be signed because it's a legal document. And, and guys, this is what causes, if you will, confusion and controversy in regards to county ballots. Okay. Because if you don't follow the instructions, no matter how arcane, no matter how confusing they may be, if you don't follow the instructions, then you give some clerk, some bureaucrat, okay, a reason to discount your ballot, okay? Um, this, that is, if you will, the case facts of landmark Supreme Court decisions, right? Okay. Oh my goodness. Are you going to bring up Bush Gore versus v. Gore. Bush versus Gore with the hanging the hanging chads versus and what the did they mean? Chads. Yes, right. Okay. Trying to figure out well, and what they what we're encouraging you to think about is do not leave your intent in question. Yes. Okay. If you want to vote a certain way, do as much as you can to leave your intent clear. 
whichever way you vote, we're not telling you how to vote because that is, we are not in the business no. of doing that. Nope. What we're saying is sign the dang thing, put it in the right envelope and send it because you want to make sure that your intent is clear. I wish to vote and I wish to vote this way. And in, 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 in Virginia, like Pennsylvania, there's two envelopes. You stick your ballot in the one envelope and on the back of that envelope is where the signatures go. But then you go ahead and stick that envelope into the envelope that already has the postage, which will send it back to the Office of Voter Registrations and Elections. Okay. Um, and if you're worried about that, you can drop it off. You can the Office it. of Voter Registrations. Actually, I think in Virginia, so there are three places in Richmond yes, where you can right? drop it. In different places in, in Virginia, you would need to look that up. And same with other states. There are ways that you can turn them in most of the time in person if you want to physically go and drop something off to someone. It is, so well, what we're getting at here is the first date, November 3rd, okay is is constitutional right knee is laid out you know it's got to be the you know what is it the first tuesday or the first monday blah 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 i mean the date gets chosen okay we know that that's election day right but how you vote will vary and in this year you know in this year's election we know there's going to be more people voting by uh, by mail right okay so there are a number of, if you will, topics that we're going to try to go ahead and fit into this podcast episode, all right? Um, um, because we want to avoid Mia, okay, being able to claim that the <laughs> vote count is illegitimate and should not be followed, right? Um, because now, at that point, then we would have a constitutional crisis, okay? Um, and we don't want Nia leading the charge of saying, okay, you know, it was an illegitimate, illegitimate election. election, right? Anarchy, so what's our, oh, sorry. Anarchy rules, okay. That's right. I'm in charge, <laughs> you know, forever. You know, storm the Bastille, we have a revolution, <laughs> right? So, but there are some dates that are kind of set out as a, as sort of a, they are immutable, right? They're, they're well, not immutable because they're in law and they can be changed. Yeah. So but they're in law. They're not just made up on a whim. Yeah. So there are two dates that are constitutional. One is the actual uh, date of the election for federal offices. Okay. The second, okay, is the date that the president gets inaugurated. Okay. That's January 20th. Those are the only two dates that are in the Constitution. The rest of the dates that I'm going to mention are actually written into law, which means they could be changed. In fact, they could be changed before the November election if Congress was so motivated. I don't think that that's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't think that Congress could agree right now to stand in a circle and sing kumbaya yeah, let alone right? anything else. okay i mean if we ask them to go ahead and line up okay they would have a debate as to whether or not they should do it by height 
Okay, weight, <laughs> age, service <laughs> length, yes. alphabetically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, right. By the states as they came into the union. Union. Yeah, like it would be. It would be a mess. It, it would take would us a, a month for that to get settled. So, we have the election on November third, according to federal law. Okay. Um, and I want, uh, and, and I want to get this correct. So Nia can put this on the, uh, research guide. Okay. Uh, the law in question is, I know I mentioned it in my, uh, prep materials. Nia, do you remember the name of the law? I'm thinking out loud here. Uh, it's the law that was passed after the disputed 1876 election. I know I mentioned it in my... Okay, I'm gonna find the law, okay. Oh, it's the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Okay, the Electoral Count Act of 1887. So, after, after the election, on December 8th, states must determine their election results, okay? So basically, they have a little over a month, okay, to count their ballots. If they count their ballots and they certify the vote counts by December 8th, okay, whatever they decide in regards to the Electoral College must be accepted by Congress. This is known as the Safe Harbor Provision of the Electoral Count Act, okay? So if a state can get their act together and count the ballots and certify whoever won in their state by December 8th, then Congress has no choice but to go ahead and accept Okay, um, their electoral college vote. Because okay? they got themselves together and did it in the time allotted. That's right. Okay. And we're going to get to a case where that didn't happen. Yeah, or are you going to talk about that now? Oh, we could get to it now if you wanted to. So in Bush v. Gore, the problem with Florida was that they weren't, that they were running over that, right? They weren't certifying the election or they didn't think they were going to finish in time. That's right. Because of what we, we were jokingly referring to earlier as hanging chads. So they had a system by which in many counties, when you voted, you punched through a piece of paper with a, with a metal punch. Like you went in and you pushed a button and it punched through this piece of paper. And theoretically, that was next to the person's name that you wanted to vote for for whatever office. Yeah, a computer punch card. Yep. And... The problem with that was that sometimes they got off in the machine, they were next to a person and you couldn't tell whether they meant um, one person or another. And then sometimes they didn't punch all the way through because they weren't sharp enough. So there would be what they called a hanging chad. The thing that falls, the, whole, the, the, the piece of paper that falls out when you make a hole in something is called a chad. And if you, don't punch all the way through, it sort of hangs there um, by literally a little paper thread. And so or, people were holding them up to the light 
And then you had you had pregnant chads. Oh, that's right. Where they were punched out. I mean, they were they were fat on one side, but not punched all the way through. Yeah, there was an indentation no that looked like okay, the pregnant belly of a woman on the back side of the sheet of paper. Okay. Right. And they were trying to hold those up and figure out which person that was next to. And then some in some of the ballots, wasn't it, was it Pat Roberts? No, was it Pat Robertson? Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan. Thank you. Wrong, wrong Pat. Pat Buchanan was across from or next to Al Gore. Somehow it ended up being that some people who said they were trying to vote for Al Gore actually punched punched next to Pat Buchanan and there was all kinds of drama right all kind and it was on the nightly news every night they'd show those poor people working the polls trying to figure out where things were and then the observers from both campaigns yes. because Florida was going to decide the election it yeah, was because it was up to Florida because the other states had already counted okay their ballots and we knew that in regards to the Electoral College, okay, what, uh, uh, whoever, you know, whichever candidate won Florida, okay, would get the necessary majority votes in the Electoral College. It came down to one state. And the way Florida did the recount, okay, this was a right, very time-consuming process, right? Because it was a recount, right, because it was too close to call. Yes. Florida, in, like many states, has uh, a mandatory recount threshold if the margin of victory is within a certain, if you will, percentage, right? Right. Um, and it varies by states, right? So there was a mandatory recount. The issue was how were each of the counties conducting the recount, okay? Um, and it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. And this becomes a significant issue in Bush versus Gore. Because when Florida was, because Florida was still doing the recount by the safe harbor date in the Electoral Count Act, the United States Supreme Court voted that Florida had to stop their recount. Otherwise, Okay, no matter who Florida reported won the Electoral College, it would lead to a challenge of, okay, Florida saying this presidential candidate won my state. Okay? Right. The next deadline is December 14th. That's when the state electors must convene in their states to cast their votes for president and vice president. So in other words, December 8th, okay, is the date that states basically got to get their act together and say, here's the vote count. Six days later, that's when they hold their electoral college vote within their state. Once they hold that vote, their electoral college, if you will, vote, to, uh, 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 vote is then sent to the Congress, okay? On January 6th, Congress meets to either accept, okay, or actually count electoral college votes, right? Now, in most instances, 
Congress, it's, it's pro forma, it's a ritual, okay? Because the electoral college vote in the country is pretty clear, okay? It's pretty clear, right? Um, now, the Senate president convenes both houses of Congress to open the state certified electoral college votes. The Senate president is Vice President Mike Pence. For this election. For this election, right? Always yeah. the vice president. It's always the vice president, right? Now. Which is nice. The vice president gets to do something. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, a lot of times the vice president's job isn't super. Oh, that was, that was said with so much condescension. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that, oh, that's nice. They get to do something, right? You know, it's like that family member at big family dinners during the holidays. Oh, let's let let's let let's let them go ahead and give the toast because otherwise we're not going to listen to them the rest of the dinner. So you know, hey, if they want to go say. ahead and clink the glass and say, "Hey, welcome! It's glad to, glad to have all the family members here." And you know, it's really a shame that Aunt So and So died this past year. Hey, but the rest of us are here, so that's nice. And then basically the rest of the dinner, we don't like pay attention to them. That's the tone that you're... <laughs> I'm just saying that the vice president's job in many cases is to wait around and make sure that the president survives their presidency. Like, it, you know, yes. you're a lot, you're pretty ceremonial. You do a lot of ceremonial stuff unless you are certain vice presidents. We've had, I mean, one could argue Dick Cheney was not that kind of vice president, but, but for the most part, unless the president asks you to head up a task force or do a very specific public thing, you're kind of just chilling. Like the, you, the you, point you of view is to, is to chill. Yeah, you are so correct. I like that they give them something to do. And this is actually really important, right? They, they show up well, and they open up the Well, it could potentially be extremely important because if the electoral college vote is closed, or if there are allegations of vote count uh, irregularities, the Senate president has the authority to reject any state's electoral college votes. <gasps> Have they yeah. ever done that? No. I mean, can you imagine if Mike Pence just said, well, California has been on fire, so I'm not gonna take their electoral votes. Or for whatever reason, right? The, okay. Oh my gosh, the earthquake that that would cause in Washington would be well. And well, you'd never get away from, with that politically, though. Like that would just be that okay. would be bonkers. Okay, but it doesn't stop with just the Senate. Okay, the Speaker of the House. Okay, per the uh, uh, the electoral. Uh, why do I keep on blanking on the name of this law? The Electoral Count Act of 1887, okay? The Speaker of the House could refuse, okay, to allow the House to be called into session. If that happened, then the Electoral College votes would not get counted at all. 
So they're not just counted in the Senate, they're counted in the entire Congress. Congress. It's a joint session of Congress, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm beginning to see a nightmare scenario oh. in front of me. Oh, hey, it gets even better. No, worse. no, I can't, I can't hear anything else because I can see how this draw. Okay, go ahead. According to another law, the Presidential Succession Act of 1947, okay, if neither the president or the vice president can serve, then it's the Speaker of the House who becomes the acting president. So in the scenario that we are laying out, okay. Wait, so Pence says, I'm not going to take California. Nancy Pelosi says, I'm not calling the House into session. And then she declares herself acting president? Because at that point, okay. How is that not a coup? <laughs> okay, but at that point, understand, technically the electoral college votes have not been counted. So therefore, we do not have, according to the United States Congress, okay. An elected president. President. And if you don't have an elected president, elected president or vice president. That's right. It goes to the speaker. Oh, my goodness. And Mitch McConnell's hair would fall out in clumps immediately. Well, not only would Mitch McConnell's hair fall out in clumps, think about what the reaction would be by President Trump. <laughs> well, and frankly, think about what the reaction would be in the streets. I mean, that... Oh, yeah. That is what that is, is at that point, that's a failure of democracy. Like that's yeah. a failure of the American system. We, we would in fact never be the same country again after that. Yes. So they will not do that if they can possibly avoid doing that because it will destroy the entire system in which they operate. That's why the. But that is a nice check and balance on that vice presidential because that person's often an incumbent. That's right. And, and so that's a, I mean, you have to admire this sort of, again, coming back to the idea of the government is constantly trying to balance itself with, against tyranny, against one person's tyranny. And that's why the December 8th and December 14th dates are so important, because they force states to get their act together and count their votes. It forces state court systems, okay, to, you know, if you will, apply state laws regarding, you know, who voted and whose votes can be counted. And it requires states then to go ahead and come together and say, we have a vote count that we've accepted and per our, if you will, state constitution or state law, this is the candidate who receives our state's electoral college vote. Well, and it also does that with alacrity, because as we have discussed in the past, the court system can, in fact, move extraordinarily slowly at times. But this says, no, within a month of the election, more or less, I mean, it's a month and a week, but within five weeks of the election, you need to have this done because we need to not be wandering into 
late December, early January, who the next president is going to be. That needs to be settled. In part, I think you've mentioned because they need the transition time. Oh, it's extremely important in regards to uh, presidential transitions. But it's uh, also important that the public have that settled oh, one sure. way or another and get over whatever has made you upset about the election. Because somebody is going to be upset every time there's an election. Somebody loses and that's frustrating and you need time to sort of, okay, I'm going to process that and get over it because we got to move forward. We got to move forward with this person, whether I like them or not, and see what I can do to work with them. So, I mean, in the ideal world, that's and, what you're doing. And we've already mentioned two presidential elections where that processing time did not occur. And I'm going to go in reverse chronological order. Uh, first, Bush versus Gore, which Nee and I have already referenced. Um, um, uh, for many of our younger listeners, you may not have been born or you were extremely young when the 2000 presidential election occurred. But because of what was going on in Florida, okay, and their difficulty in counting and recounting ballots, um, we did not know until the, 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 like the day before the safe harbor deadline who actually won Florida. That was one of the longest months, okay, at least for me and many Americans in regards to, okay, what's going on in the country, okay? What's actually going on in the country? Um, because we didn't know who won the presidential election, okay? You had both political parties that were throwing accusations at one another. I would posit it helped, if you will, ratchet up the partisanship that we have seen in the last two to three decades in this country, uh, because a lot of the allegations that were made in court, okay, and me and I have talked about this. When you take a dispute to court, there is a winner and a loser. And there's oftentimes very little middle ground or compromise, right. okay? So for many Democrats, for instance, the Supreme Court ruling that stopped the Florida state voter uh, vote recount was a stolen election. Right. They, they still refer to it as the stolen election. And right? the carry-on effect for 9-11 was that Bush was president and not Gore. And so there are people who, who have a lot of feelings about how that might have been different or handled differently or whatever. I, I think that all of that is completely speculative and there's no way we could ever know. But what I do think that it did was have a huge effect on how people view the importance of the court in elections. Like it, and and uh, listeners will have heard last week our discussion about um, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Ginsburg's replacement on the court. And one of the selling points for both sides is let us avoid another situation like Bush v. Gore. Right? Let's avoid having the courts decide, or if the courts are going to decide it, have them decide it in our way and not the other way, whichever the hour is in this particular instance, because both sides feel like they have a dog in that fight. That's right. Um, and, the, and frankly, that 
that election was seen as decided by the nine members of the Supreme Court. That's right. And so, you know, that's one election. The other election uh, where the country did not know for weeks afterwards was the 1876 election that led to the Electoral Count Act, okay, of 1887, okay? Ah. In 1876, uh, the presidential uh, uh, race was between Republican Rutherford B. Hayes and Democrat uh, Samuel J. Tilden, okay? Um, And since I've not heard of Tilden, I'm sure that Hayes is the one that won that election. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Because when I'm thinking through the list of presidents in my head, Hayes is on there and Tilden is not. Not, That's right. In that particular election, you didn't have one state, okay, (laughs) that had vote uh, irregularities. You had multiple states who actually submitted multiple or uh, different electoral count results to the Congress. Okay. Wait, I don't understand. Okay. Again, before the Electoral Count Act, okay, it was up to the states to decide what they were going to submit to Congress in regards to their state's electoral votes. Okay. Okay. And in some states, okay, it okay, was the state legislature and other states, it was the executive branch, you know, the bureaucrats who did the, if you will, the counting, okay? But in some states, you actually had state legislatures who said, no, our reading of the vote in this state is that this candidate won, but then you had the executive branch (gasps) say, no, our reading is it's a different candidate. Oh, so it was unclear. Yes, so the states actually uh, submitted different. They submitted twice. They yes. voted twice, which, as we've discussed before, is not legal in this country. Not good. <laughs> okay, not good. Not good for states to do it. Not good for individuals, individuals to do it. To do it, no. Nobody okay. should be voting more than once. Okay. okay. So, oh, I see. So that would make it really confusing because then the, the Congress would have to decide who was the more legitimate representative of that election, the elective body in the state or the executive in the state. That's right. So this led to... And okay. I'm sure there was no partisan politics involved. Well, and then... It, it, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, she said sarcastically. Exactly, right? This led to the United States Congress creating uh, a commission that was comprised of five House members, five U.S. Senators, and five Supreme Court Justices. And interestingly enough, okay... The vote was eight to seven. Of course. Okay, for Hayes. But as part of the deal to, if you will, settle the election, okay, uh, Hayes, it has been alleged by historians, agreed with Southern Democrats to end Reconstruction. So when Hayes became president, that's when you had the removal of 
federal troops from the South. Wow. Yes. So he traded for the election. Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, he well, did. Well, that's a little crooked. It, it's it's a lot crooked. Okay. Yeah. But those I was trying are, to be nice. Okay, but those are the deals that are made to go ahead and end election disputes, right? Well, I yeah, mean, I mean, Nixon had a Southern strategy that was based in race. Well, like, I, that's not an unusual thing for a, for a candidate or, a, or an individual to say, I'm going to trade a chunk of my soul in order to get the White House. And, and some of it they, they justify to themselves based in, but I'll do good things when I get there, or I'll, you know, I'll help these other people when I get there. Yeah, I mean, you and I have discussed this, and in, 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 in fact, in some cases, recent podcast episodes, right? Okay, the, the, the kind of value compromises that get right. made by candidates, loved ones, staff members, voters, because we believe that a particular candidate, okay, no matter their pathologies, no matter how corrupt they may be, okay, if they're in office, will be able to do good things. They'll be able right. to do good things. Right? Did Tilden fight it? Uh, no. Tilden, to his credit, just like Al Gore, to his credit, in 2000, okay, accepted the results. Tilden accepted the results of the commission, just like Al Gore accepted the Supreme Court decision in Bush versus Gore. Well, and I assume for similar reasons, right? Because Al Gore said, this is tearing the country apart and we got to stop. And I'm assuming Tilden right after the civil war would have probably felt oh, a similar yeah. pressure of, we just need for this to not be a thing right now. Yeah. And as I tell my students, I mean, the 1876 election, okay, was a mere 11 years after the end of the civil war, right? It's not like the country was over it, right? right. Okay, we're all healed. La, la, la. I mean, yeah, no. I mean, you know, think about, for instance, how we today, okay, you know, in a, you know, two centuries removed, if you will, okay, at least a century and a half removed, are still dealing with the impl implications of slavery and the Civil War in this country. Right. Right. You don't right. get over that, right? You don't get over it, right? Well, uh, 20 years after Bush v. Gore, there are still hardcore Democrats who, who will say it was stolen and it ruined the country. And, you know, I mean, like they... Oh, yes. It's like it happened yesterday. Oh, yeah. I, I was angry at the beginning, um, in part because, not because I loved Al Gore, um, but because I wanted the process to finish and I felt like it wasn't finished, right? They didn't finish the count because it was stopped. But looking back on it, my, my adult older self says that was the best choice. The best choice was to just finish this as quickly as possible so that one, there could be a peaceful transition of power, which is enormously important in the United States, but also so that we we could stop fighting about it. Like there's yes. only so much fighting that should be going on and then we should stop, um, which is part of what bothers me about current politics is there's an awful lot of fighting about things that probably don't need to be fought about. Well, it, 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 and in not stopping the fight, 
we hurt governance. Right, we, we hurt, hurt the institutions, right. Okay, I mean, remember, at the end of the day, or at its core, elections are choosing people to run the government. Okay? Right. We are picking people to represent us in governing institutions. If we don't stop the fight about the election, then governing gets delayed. It gets hurt. Okay. Which eventually and, hurts us. Like it's a, yes. it's a cyclical thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and that's where, you know, many, and I don't necessarily, you know, I mean this, the, the week that we're recording this podcast episode listeners, um, and Nia started off the episode by making reference to the fact that she was going to follow the lead of the current president who has refused to say if he would accept, okay, uh, the outcomes or the outcome of the election. Actually, what he said was, I'm sorry, but what he said, which I found more terrifying, is he said he wasn't sure about the peaceful transition of power. Yeah, the peaceful, yeah. Okay. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the phrase that we have depended on as a nation for 200 plus years is whether you hate your opponent or not, if your opponent wins, you grumbling or graceful walk away without trying to have a coup. Like, yes, that's what, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, um, if nothing else, pro forma, you should say, of course, I believe in the peaceful transition of power. <laughs> Although, Whatever else one may say, Donald Trump doesn't always say the easy thing, does he? No, I mean, and, 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 and I understand many of his supporters are like, you know, hey, he says out loud what many of us think. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Okay, but as somebody, in, I have been chastised throughout my life for occasionally, and me is getting a really big grin on her face right now, folks. For occasionally saying things, okay, that perhaps should not be said, but a lot of people in a room were thinking. Okay? No, you? Yes, I no. know. No, right? Pshaw, say right? it isn't so. So this definitely falls into the category of do as I say, not as I have done, okay, or perhaps will do in the future. That kind of talk is very disconcerting. Yes. Right? Yeah. I, uh, it disconcerted me because okay. that's different than saying, will you accept the outcome of the election? Maybe he could legitimately say, I would fight the outcome of any election I didn't believe was fair. And and I, I would say, okay, that's not an illegitimate position to have. But to say, I don't know if I believe in the peaceful transition, transition. of power, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a completely different animal to me. I was really taken aback by that. Because, you know, for many of us. I shouldn't have been, but I was. What was noteworthy and what was good about the American form of democracy in 2000 was that there was a peaceful transition. Exactly. Okay. That um, Al Gore conceded. Bush 43, okay, was very conciliatory when he first took office. And he was, right? He didn't gloat, okay? Right. 
Okay. And he took office and he started running the government. And whether or not you believe that Bush actually won the election, because he did win the election, he was running the government. And though the decisions of the Bush administration were viewed as legitimate because he won the election. Elections legitimize those who are in positions of authority in governing institutions. So, and and I, I would agree and argue that also Al Gore's acceptance of the decision also legitimized President Bush as a president. Gore. Like he yeah. came out and said, President Bush is our president and we should give him as all, all of our support as Americans. Like it was a thing for him to be, it was a very, you're right, a very statesman moment um, for Al Gore when he was like, we don't get, we don't get to be angry and bitter and not support the president because we don't like the way this went. That's not okay. And, and that, I, I agree with you, helped legitimize his presidency and then helped him through harder times when we had 9-11 and we had Katrina and we had other um, issues with the recession. During his presidency, he had a foundation of, yes, but we've all accepted that you're the president. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay, either political party is going to be all that accepting. <laughs> right, right. I'm worried about both sides because we, we're not, at, th at this point, you couldn't, if I threw a rock in Washington, I wouldn't hit a statesman or stateswoman. No. For love nor money. I could throw a billion rocks and not hit any. It's very frustrating to me that that we have now devolved into such a, um, a, a hardened, politicized, right, I don't even know what the word would be, separated. Yeah, there's no common ground here, okay? I mean, in, in, in folks, if you think about democracy, but in particular, the American form of democracy, it can only function when common ground is achieved. Right. Right? Compromise. Okay. And the entire uh, democratic process is based on compromise. Whether you're talking about separation of powers, federalism, checks and balances, okay, elections, okay, and what, you know, elections mean in terms of governing, if we cannot find common ground, that it's almost impossible to go ahead and run a country in a democracy, okay? And, and that's extremely problematic. Right. It's extremely problematic, all right? So given the givens of the polarization, yeah. um, how, how do we prevent <laughs> the Pence-Pelosi standoff of I'm willing to burn it to the ground in order to get it for my side? Okay. Nightmare scenario that we had that that you've so frighteningly given me to think about and not sleep over for many, many nights for the next few weeks. Thanks for that. <laughs> okay. The most, I, I, I think the most obvious answer to your question is if there is a landslide, right? Okay. If one candidate wins by a landslide, um, it would be next to impossible for the loser to go ahead and say, 
this election was stolen from me and my supporters. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's always been the va the value of a landslide, which is it really undercuts, you know, any, if you will, claims that votes weren't counted correctly or that there was voter fraud or right. it takes you know, the whining out of the election. Oh sure. Okay. If it's if it's 60-40, it wasn't close. It was not close. And there's so no even if there was some voter fraud or um, uh, uh, election chicanery, if you will. Okay. It wouldn't make a difference. It wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, okay. even if it were 10 on either side, well, no, five on either side, 5% on either side, you still aren't getting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and historically, and I've told you this before, Nia, historically, political scientists have acknowledged that in most presidential elections, okay, there's usually one to 2%, if you will, voting and vote count irregularities. But one to 2%, okay, in nearly all the states and in nationwide isn't going to impact, if you will, an election. On the other hand, if it's extremely close, then you get, you know, the court cases. Then you get the allegations of, you know, uh, votes aren't being counted. Then you get the allegations of, well, what happened to those two bins of you know, absentee ballots that were found in some warehouse, okay, that the United States Postal Service never delivered, right? You know, that's when you get all of those, um, you know, conspiracy, if you will, allegations of this election was stolen from X candidate and their supporters. Right. Okay. Um, the other, so, thing to, the other thing to be aware of here, Nia, uh, and you briefly mentioned this, and this is part of my worst case scenario as somebody who studies the Supreme Court and studies constitutional law. If we do not get a replacement for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, we have eight justices, okay? Now, I'm not a math major, but eight is an even number. That could which, lead, lead which, to four, four tie votes. And for those of you who don't uh, know this, when the Supreme Court ends up in a tie vote, the lower court decision stands. Okay? Right, which is why before Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed there were a bunch of cases they didn't take yes because they were concerned that it would be a 4-4 and this question would not be settled that's right and they wanted to settle the question so they waited on those cases until they got a fifth member so um, and they weren't even waiting to push them in one direction or another they were just waiting so they could make sure it was settled, settled. so if you had a if you had a bush v gore in a season with eight justices that would just be a mess oh my goodness that would be a mess okay well thanks for adding to my anxiety because i wasn't anxious enough what well, could they is there like you know how when the government when something big happens in the government and it gets all weird like um i'm thinking uh the kennedy assassination or 
um, the Challenger disaster, those, those things, we often have commissions yeah. that, that sort of do independent work. Could, is it possible to have one of those in this yeah, Congress sort of could nightmare go. scenario to try to settle things? Yeah, the uh, commission that settled the Hayes-Tilden election in 1876 was a commission that was created by the United States Congress. Okay, so it was like one of those. It was like yeah. the Warren Commission or one of the other commissions. Okay, so yeah. there is the possibility that, that they could say, you know what, we're going to let a, well, I guess partisan, but theoretically not partisan group of people try to settle this. Well, I mean, and there are any, I mean, I've seen scholars go ahead and pitch, um, you know, any number of commission proposals. Um, you know, the, the most recent one I saw was from law professor Bruce Ackerman, um, who went ahead and said, Congress right now could create a commission that is comprised of five Supreme Court justices, uh, two liberals, two conservatives, and have the chief justice, okay, be the chair. And, and they would just check for irregularities, yes. right? They're not deciding the votes. No. They're just... Nope. They're just they they would just be checking to make sure that what the states are doing comply with federal constitution, federal law, but also state constitutions and state law. Because that's not a bad solution. I, I don't think it's a bad solution at all. And in fact, if they went ahead and put the commission in place right now, it could settle a lot of these disputes even before people cast their votes. Oh, that's true. Like it could settle the whether it's okay to naked envelope your vote or like if you didn't have a witness, is it still going to be like they could make they could make they, all those decisions according to what's going on with state laws. And because it would be a special commission and not, quote unquote, a federal court, the Supreme Court would not be limited by its prohibition on not issuing advisory opinions. Oh, so they could say, hey, states, if you want to fix this, yes, you could do the following things and that would be spiffy and it would help us get this work done. It, exactly. Right. Uh, although I can't imagine J. Rob ever saying something is spiffy, but still. No, but I mean. I'd pay him if he did. But, I would. <laughs> or, or, or for me, you know, if he went ahead and said, hey, I'm calling BS on this. Right. Yeah. You know, in, 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 in the language of the people who, you know, <laughs> I, I was raised with, I grew up with, you know, just cut right to the chase. OK, yeah, I'm calling, you know, BS. OK, don't do that. Right. So who would you put on that five person commission? Well, I mean, hey, uh, if you want to satisfy the liberals, OK, um, you go ahead and put uh, Kagan and Sotomayor. Right. OK. You want to satisfy the conservatives? Uh, you put Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. And because uh, Chief Justice Roberts, okay, has uh, uh, annoyed both uh, conservatives and liberals, even though, let's be fair, he's a conservative. But there, if there's one person in this country right now that even liberals would say, this guy would at least have the guts to go ahead and tell a Republican-controlled state what you did was wrong, it would be Chief Justice John Roberts. Yeah, I think his 
his what are the it's not a popularity rating but it's like a respect rating or a trust rating it's public um, approval yeah public public approval, approval thank you yeah. public yeah. approval ratings and i think like congress's public approval rating is below that of like um mosquitoes with diseases and you know <laughs> things like that like it's really low and the president is super low too his is his is hanging around there somewhere around like 35 percent or something <laughs> But, but John the, Roberts, I would bet, is actually fairly high because yeah. and the I court think as an institution seen, is high. Yeah, he, he is seen as as protecting the institution, not protecting his personal opinions. Most of the time, I think he's seen that way. Yeah, and in but, this particular instance, yeah. But talk about stress, man. His his hair would go white overnight. <laughs> you know what I mean? He'd be like, uh, "I'm sorry, I have to sign off on." <laughs> the you know all the lower court leave time i can't i can't i don't have time for this but it would be um uh, it would be perceived as as neutral a body as we are going to get yeah i mean in the in their other proposals i've seen where no current office holder uh would be chosen but uh well-established states people from both political parties um, uh, w uh, could be on such a commission, and you would also have uh, federal judges on it. Um, there are any number of things that Congress could do, because again, it's Congress's role here in deciding states, accepting states' electoral college votes, and electoral college votes are predicated on, you know, vote outcomes within the states, okay? So, you know, Congress has a role to play here. And, and I know you're tired of hearing me say this, but Congress needs to step up. Congress has constitutional authority here. You know, the, dead, the, the, the deadlines that we discussed earlier in this podcast were created by Congress per its constitutional authority in regards to accepting the electoral college votes from the states. So if we don't think that the states can get their act together before November, Congress could, okay, put in place some checks, some safeguards, okay? They could right. do that, okay? Now, do I think Congress will do that? No, but it could, okay? It could. Can I just say that, um, I know this is a sad way to end this podcast, but I'm going to go here anyway. I feel a little bit like we're one of those countries where they have to call in the UN and have them hold the vote because, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, guys, we need to stop acting like our vote system is so broken that we're freaking Belarus. We're not. We're not Belarus. The system is not broken if it is implemented properly. Yes. The system works. We just need to have faith in it, and we need to make it as strong as it can possibly be. Are there influences? Of course there are. But, and are there irregularities? As you noted, yes, there are always going to be irregularities. But for the most part, you it know, I, I, it can work. It's just that the polarization now is making me think, oh man, we're going to have to bring in the guys with the blue helmets to sit around and watch our elections. And that's just not a good situation for anybody. I mean, in, in the way you're, you're concluding this podcast episode, um, it, 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 would, 
it's one of those great ironies. It, it would be so ironic if we had to have the United Nations, okay, with election observers when for decades, the UN turned to the United States, okay, to have elderly statespeople from this country, you know, with gravitas, with, you know, impeccable reputations, like Jimmy Carter, okay, like various members of the Bush 41 administration to run around the world and be election observers. I mean, that would, that would be one of those, one of those, one of the most hideous ironies if that, you know, actually happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's, so let's, let's not have that happen. Exactly. So yeah. I am, I'm making a plea to the non-Congress people, I mean, to the Congress people who are not listening to this podcast, um, please, please just do this right. Like it's doable and we can act like decent people to each other and we can get this, we can get this done safely and correctly and not have to feel like we had another lost slash stolen slash upsetting election because that's still in people's minds 20 years later. Yes. And frankly, my heart can't take it. I'm making a personal plea having lived under COVID now for the last seven months. I need y'all to get it together. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. By the way, you remember how we said we were going to write to Congress people so that we could get on their mailing list? Yes. I've decided that's what I'm going to write inside every one of my cards. Hey, y'all, could you get it together, please? Thanks. XOXO, Nia. Nia. And, and by the way, this is my plea to listeners, okay? If somebody submits a ballot that doesn't have a signature or they didn't put it into the second envelope, it's not because they were trying to commit voter fraud. Right. Okay? They're a human being that made a mistake. Right. Okay? Let's not immediately jump to the partisan they're trying to scam the system. They're trying to hurt my preferred candidate. Yeah. Okay. You're talking about, okay, this podcast, okay, has two, you know, reasonably intelligent human beings with multiple advanced degrees who've demonstrated that they can follow instructions. And guys, you should have heard us before we started recording on the confusion, okay, about how to mail an absentee ballot in our state. Right. Okay. Let assume assume ignorance, innocent ignorance over malice yes. every time. Because okay. that is 99% of the time that's what's going to be the case. That it is that it is an innocent mistake. It is not intended malice. Or guys honestly people aren't that out much to get you. And by the way guys if you are having a hard time conceptualizing what we are saying right now at this point in the podcast, think about the mistakes you have made on filling out other government forms for things like renewing your driver's license. Oh my okay. gosh. I was standing there. I have, I have two advanced degrees. I was standing there and the woman said, is your last name Stephanie? And I said, no. And she said, here, and she wrote an arrow between the first and the last name sections because I just did it the way almost every form have, which is last name and then first name. 
I just did, I didn't even read it. I just filled it out thinking I knew what I was doing. And, you know, and she was very kind and I still got my driver's license because people recognize that other people are human. Yes. The number of times, folks, that I've had, okay, clerks at multiple state DMVs, okay, uh, take pity on me and correct right. mistakes <laughs> I've made, okay? And it wasn't because I was trying to scam the system or I was trying to get one over or that I shouldn't have been granted a driver's license. It was just that, okay, I was tired in some instances or I didn't follow the instructions or the instructions were unclear to me, okay? Right. And again, I have multiple degrees, okay? I read arcane, if you will, you know, legal documents and, you know, in government regulations and some of the stuff confuses me. So please, please, please do not immediately jump to the conclusion that because somebody went ahead and sent their ballot to the wrong place or they showed up late or they weren't entirely sure that their absentee ballot got mailed so they showed up in person to vote, that they're trying to you know, hurt you, your party or your candidate. Right. Please, please don't, right? Okay, Agreed. a lot of this stuff is human error, right? Yep. It's human error. Give the grace that you need for yourself. Yes. Because we all need it and we all need to give it. Yes. Thank you, Augie. Sure. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye, Nia. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.